Hi, welcome to Dermcast TV. I'm here today with Dr. Adam Friedman, Associate Professor at George Washington University College of Medicine and Health Science. Thanks so much for coming and spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Today we're talking about something very exciting, nanotechnology. And I think that this is something that everyone really could start with a basic definition with. Sure, so I think that's actually a little bit difficult because we don't have a standardized definition according to the FDA, uh, but the one I ascribe to is this. Nanotechnology is the study, the development, the manipulation, uh, the extrapolation of materials that have at least one dimension that's between one and 100 nanometers, that's a billionth of a meter in size, but also it's at this size where unique phenomena emerge. And I think that's very important. It's both size and what happens at that size range. Um, so let's think of this with respect to the skin. So with size, uh, you know, one of our biggest impediments with treating the skin is the actual target, the skin, getting things through that very impressive barrier. As something shrinks in size, its ability to permeate through that barrier increases. Uh, but actually, you don't necessarily need to just get through. You just need to sit more evenly on the skin. You need to stay there longer, what's called uh, resident transit time. And so if you have these materials sitting evenly on the skin, staying there, releasing their payload over time, you get a depot effect and you get a gradient. So things can actually get through that barrier much easily. Um, the other element, of course, are the unique phenomena. As you shrink a material down in size, the surface area relative to the volume ratio uh, exponentially increases. That means that the surface reactivity, the surface area relative to environment is much, much, much larger. So it's much easier for it to interact with its environment. Because of this and this increased surface reactivity, the properties of matter, optical, physical and chemical can be augmented at this scale. And so you can manipulate whatever you're making for your intended purpose, whether you want to make something invisible that normally at the bulk scale uh, is not cosmetically elegant. If you want to suspend something in a very thin vehicle that normally you'd have to put in a thick goopy ointment, that can be accomplished at the nanoscale. Tell me a little bit about your research in nanotechnology. Sure, so you know, in, in nanotechnology, we have three general categories. We have nanomaterials, uh, we have uh, you know, nanomachines and nanocomputers. Uh, I focus more on nanomaterials, specifically polymeric nanomaterials. Um, these are derived from various carbohydrates, um, silicon derivatives, uh, but that is one small little element of the entire spectrum of, of nano. You, know, you have metals, you have polymers, you have lipids, you know, the, the sky is the limit, but I focus specifically on polymeric nanoparticles uh, to deliver a broad range of therapeutic relevant, uh, even diagnostically relevant materials from imaging agents, chemotherapeutics, established products and, and therapeutics that don't necessarily have the best uh, pharmacokinetic profile, meaning you may not be able to spend them in certain vehicles, maybe they don't play nice with certain organ systems. Um, so that's kind of one element of what I do, try to make therapeutics and diagnostics we already have better more effective and safer. But the other side, you know, a greater focus of my work is delivering the undeliverables. Um, and, and one of those things is nitric oxide. Nitric oxide is probably the most important signaling molecule in our body, made by almost every cell type for many different reasons, from opening up the blood vessels, wound healing, fighting infection, making new pigment, um, you name it, it does everything. Um, however, it's very short-lived and very reactive. So our ability to take what we know about nitric oxide to the bedside is hindered by our ability to deliver it. This doesn't mean people are tr aren't trying. You know, for the last 50 years, there's been a mad dash to create donor molecules, things that can give nitric oxide under certain circumstances. Um, but that's kind of complicated. They all have very shortcomings from uh, efficacy, 
safety is a big one, um, and stability and cost. What's unique here is the nanoparticle actually facilitates the production of nitric oxide. We're not just attaching nitric oxide to some donor compound. The nanoparticle itself facilitates a unique chemistry that will make nitric oxide from its precursor nitride. And so here, it's really nanotechnology to the rescue that allows us to make nitric oxide over time and use it for a broad range of, uh, of, of therapeutic indications acne, skin soft tissue infections, wound healing, even topical treatment for erectile dysfunction. Uh, we, we have very broad collaborations, even well beyond dermatology, uh, which of course makes that a lot of fun as well. Which disease processes are you most excited about that this technology can be utilized? Ugh, do, in do I have to pick one? Um, two, how about two? two. <laughs> well, you know, the, the reality is with nanotechnology, it, it allows you to purposely design a material for your indication. So if you think about broad strokes, the prevention, the management, and the treatment, or even the diagnosis of, uh, of skin diseases, you know, nano hits it all. Um, my focus is more on treatment, and I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of benefit and a lot of potential for the treatment of neoplastic diseases, targeted therapies, that, that's our new era right now. You know, we have that in oncology, but even more targeted therapies, encapsulating maybe several chemotherapeutic agents, several biological agents in one nanoparticle that has a targeting ligand that selectively goes after the right cell to limit side effects and bystander effects. Inflammatory skin disease, we already, once again, targeted therapies, biologics, going after the underpinnings of those diseases. Nano allows us to do that. Think of it this way. If you have a tiny little dart, but a giant bullseye, you're probably gonna hit that bullseye. Mm -hmm. Giant dart, small bullseye, that doesn't work so well. That's the way I think about nano. Your likelihood of reaching your target, of actually interacting with the environment in the right way, is much higher at the nano scale simply because biology is at the nano scale. Um, so it, it's very hard to obviously pick your pick or choose one or even two or even probably 20. Um, but yeah, my, my main focus has been predominantly in skin and soft tissue infections and wound healing, simply because those are two areas of great needs. Um, you know, wound healing, it's a massive market. We really don't have a lot in terms of biological agents. Skin and soft tissue infections, we're, we're in the era of antimicrobial resistance. Nano can help us overcome that. We can deliver multiple agents at once to limit that resistance from developing, but also thinking of that depot effect, those nanoparticles can fuse to your pathogen, bacteria, fungi, because they're huge at this scale. These are above the nano scale and, and therefore allow for that drug or drugs to permeate through that membrane and ultimately kill those cells. So those, I guess if I had to choose two, those would be them, but really sky's the limit. That's very exciting. But in that, is there a side effect potential or, or limitations to the technology? Right. So I think more often than not in the media, we're hearing more about safety issues when it comes to, to nanotechnology. Um, and I think it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. It really is a case-by-case -case basis. And, and most commonly what we hear about is with sunscreens, nano zinc or titanium dioxide. So what's the hypothetical risk? Well, these are actually photocatalysts. Now, if you take these and put them in the sunlight, they generate free radicals. Now, that sounds counterintuitive. We've been using these for decades to block the sun. And the reality is they're really not doing a whole lot, especially if they just sit on the top layer of the skin. Now, theoretically, if they penetrate, get into the cells and make free radicals in the cells, yes, there theoretically is some risk. But the reality is they do not do that. We have plenty of in vivo human evidence using very fancy schmancy techniques, confocal Raman spectroscopy to show that they don't penetrate. 
Why don't they penetrate? Because they were purposely designed not to. They have special coatings, charges to make sure they stay on that top layer where they can repel, literally repel ultraviolet radiation versus penetrating through the skin. Um, and truthfully, a lot of the safety issues that come up are not from those formulations. They're from the bench. They're from people taking lab-grade zinc oxide nanoparticles, dumping them on a bunch of, for example, human colon cells, and then saying, hey, if you eat your sunscreen, it'll kill you doesn't translate like that. It really doesn't work like that. It kind of undermines the impressive nature of the human condition uh, when comparing us to a petri dish of cells. Um, so at least as far as we have seen, the commercially developed and, and designed preparations are safe, uh, but no question more research is needed and we really need to work together, FDA, governmental agencies, and of course dermatologists, um, because we, you know, the skin is the first line of defense to these materials. It's the first thing that's come into contact with them. So all of us have to have a seat at that table when discussing safety issues. And we need to not forget to tell our patients, don't eat your sunscreen. Yeah, I think in general it's a good rule, um, you know, forgetting the nano aside. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we have patients, I'm sure all of us experience those who come in with the pile of reports saying, you know, that sunscreen you recommended to me, exactly. you know, it's dangerous as nanoparticles. They're not. And, and to think about it, nanoscaled zinc oxide, what are you going to get out of that? One, it's not creamy white. You're not getting that, you know, kabuki makeup effect. Two, it sits more evenly on the skin and probably stays on the skin even longer, enhancing its effect to protect us from the, from the sun. And ultimately, both of those uh, boil down to enhanced compliance. So I think there really is a strong benefit for using nanomaterials to prevent skin cancer through sunscreens, uh, but we, we need to work on the education element. Where do you see the future of nanotechnology taking us? In oh man, I, everywhere. I, th I think, you know, we, we are already in the era of personalized medicine targeted therapies and nano just fits in with that uh, but what's nice about nano it's really not uh, pigeonholed into one cubby it's not oh it's just for oncology it's just for radiology um, and for me even with my research it's been great because I get to work um, across the aisle with multiple specialties um, so I, I think it, it can have implications in all disease states treatment prevention diagnostics uh, you name it and I think there there is a feverish rush to really get this to the bedside so I, I think we'll be seeing a lot more in the next five to ten years well, it's very exciting, and I'm hopeful that we continue these discussions over the next couple of years. And Absolutely. We'll see how it migrates from here. Thank Great. you so much for taking the time to speak with us. We're with Germcast TV. Hope to see you next time.